This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in sunny Santa Monica, California. Please be seated. Well, we have a great show for you today. Um, there's a lot of lot of news happening all at once in the Internet this morning. Um, we're going to quickly get you caught up on some of the major developments. And then we're going to have Mary Engel. She's the Director of Advertising Practices at the Federal Trade Commission. And many of you may know her because she's also the, the star of the FTC's um, little um, videos that they have on the um, aver- the endorsement guidelines that the FTC released in 2009. Um, we'll be talking about them with her as well as other things going on with the FTC at the moment. Um, so um, have, a, have a seat, and we're going to have a, an interesting show for you. Um, the big news this morning is the settlement of the FTC with Facebook. And um, as you know, Facebook and privacy have um, seemed to have um, (laughs) always seemed to be in conflict, it seems. Um, And um, the FTC had had to respond to, uh, receive the complaint about Facebook's privacy practices and um, just recently reached a settlement with Facebook um, under which um, Facebook agreed that it would no longer, it would not change its information collect you know, how it used your data without um, your consent, and that that's one of the big things that um, the this, of the settlement specifically. Um, the, the settlement provides that Facebook is barred from making misrepresentations about the privacy or security of consumer personal information. They're required to obtain consumers' affirmative express consent before enacting changes that override their privacy preferences. Um, They're required to prevent anyone from accessing a user's material more than 30 days after the user has deleted his or her account. Um, This is kind of related to what is often referred to in the EU as a right to be forgotten. Um, They are required to establish and maintain a comprehensive privacy program designed to address privacy risks associated with the development and management of new and existing products and services and to protect the privacy and confidentiality of consumer information. This is what is known as privacy by design. It's the, and something the FTC has been pushing um, and coming out of the year and a half of roundtables they had on privacy. Um, and as you may recall, our very first episode, we had Chris Olson um, from um, Deputy Director of Privacy at the FTC, um, speak about those in, in our debut um, episode. 
And the, what, what came out of them was a, a notion that privacy um, should be built into the design of new, um, you know, new web offerings. And you, you may recall um, at the time you had Facebook had Beacon. Um, they had all these other problems with, with, with subsequent updates. You had Google um, with Google Buzz. Um, and so you had a couple of major launches in which it appeared that privacy considerations were not part of the design phase of the product, but really something thought of afterwards when things started hitting the fan. And so the FTC really started pushing the concept that you need to be thinking about this right from the start and that it should be part of the design. And, and that's what they're pushing for here um, in trying to um, get fa- in Facebook to make this part of the process. So it could mean of different Facebook now that you know, that is um, their duty going forward. Um, it remains to be seen you know, to what extent that's implemented. But um, it's definitely – it's um, – you know, a lot of people will focus on the fact that Facebook has to now disclose, um, excuse me, now get get your consent before making any material changes um, to, in terms of using your data. But the, this actually is just as big in the fact that Facebook now has to operate from a notion of privacy by design and not, um, you know, not privacy on the back end trying to figure out, okay, we have this product. How can we mitigate or minimize our exposure around privacy, which it, it seems, I don't know if it's really been the intent, but it really seems to be some of the recent Facebook moves um, have been that way. And so um, when you're a company that big that is you know, repeatedly getting into trouble, this you know this is a good thing. Um, the fact that you know they will now have to consider privacy um, right from the get-go and um, who knows, maybe Facebook can be a model for social media um, instead of the, in, in the right way, instead of the, the wrong way. Um, the final requirement is they are required within 180 days and every two years after that for the next 20 years, so just 20 years, that's nothing, right, um, <laughs> to obtain independent third-party audits certifying that its privacy program is in place that needs to uh, meets or exceeds the requirements of the order and ensures that the privacy of consumer information is protected. So, um, you know, a number of other companies have this order, I mean, more or less, Facebook is now um, confirming its status as an elite internet company because um, other people who have entered into similar orders would be Google um, and Twitter. So um, you know, Facebook is not unique in having this requirement, but um, it definitely um, is a significant development. We'll see if Mary can talk about that when she comes on. But um, it, the, the buzz on this, this is the big buzz today on the internet. And um, but there are some other issues that are really generating a lot of buzz, um, aside from Officer Pike and um, his pepper spray tour of art history and all other things in um, the United States. Um, but a big issue is what has become known as SOPA, and SOPA is a bill pending in Congress called it's the Stop Online Piracy Act. And it has become under intense criticism. And um, you know things are difficult, that a bill may be going in the wrong direction, when both Nancy Pelosi and Daryl Issa believe that the bill goes too far. And um, so here, again, you have an, another bill coming forward from Lamar Smith, who 
we talked about earlier in the year when we talked about the patent reform, um, when he you know he was pushing a bill that kind of went too far and was uh, very much slanted in favor of the banking industry and more or less gave them a giveaway um, from being liable for patent infringement for the use of um, credit card processing machines. And so here you have um, something uh, where Congress is clearly you know, giving in to um, the motion picture industry and the recording art industry um, with a very aggressive um, patent bill. And, you know, so well, what, why are, people this upset about it um you know it was something that clearly begs the question but um let's let's talk about what it is that has people so much up in arms and um what it what it goes down to is the the ability of um more or less the recording industry and the entertainment industry to take sites down um it just changes the current dynamic as it stands now, if I have content, third-party content on my site, and um, I get a notice from, as long as I get, I get a notice from the recording industry or whoever it is that the site infringes if someone's copyright, um, as long as I respond promptly and take that down, I'm, I'm immune from liability. Um, this would allow um, takedown notices um, and potential liability for sites that have just one, you know, one link. That may be infringing, and allows them them to send notices to their um, their payment processors as well as to their ad networks, and um, you know creates an, an incentive actually to cut off companies. And there's a big concern that it really creates an incentive for censorship, and um, so it's caused quite a stir. Um, a number of people coming on, as I mentioned, both Nancy Pelosi. And Daryl Issa, and um, you know, who really b- agree on anything, but let me take, um, highlight some of the comments Daryl Issa made. Um, he said that um, the bill is um, the, the entertainment industry and supporters of new legislation, and and trying to cast Google in the position of being pro piracy because of their opposition to the bill. Um, Issa said that um, at the moment there's a very broad coalition from far left to far right, who realizes that the way the bill is drafted will hurt innovation and that because legislation has so many unintended consequences, they can't just use Google as a pinata and bash it um, on it here. Um, That really, um, there was an effort by Smith to push the bill through his committee by more or less blaming Google um, as being the bad guy for more or less supporting piracy because they didn't support this particular bill, and um, by pushing through pushing the bill through, um, you're really seeing a, a major um, response within the internet community so, um, on SOPA and just on what the dangers this presents, and um, so it's a it's a it currently is in its future is in doubt. Um, the Senate Senator Wyden. Um, has indicated that he will filibuster the bill, but he's also working to try to get a scaled-back bill that will really just focus on piracy and not um, and not try to overreach, as this bill um, clearly does. Um, so that's, um, that is really what's been shaping down on Capitol Hill. Um, another major development on Capitol Hill was the first hearing um, in the House Judiciary Committee 
on what is known as the Main Street Fairness Act. And that is um, a bill to more or less allow states the option of taxing online sales. And um, it's something that now Amazon is now a big advocate of in light of its um, settlement with the state of California, um, in which it it agreed to begin collecting um, sales tax if no national tax were enacted within the year. So um, that hearing was just this morning. We haven't really got feedback yet on the hearing, but um, it's it's at least it's the issue is being um, debated. And so those are some of the two big things happening in Congress right now. Um, another proposal um, coming out of the Copyright Office has um, triggered a lot of, of discussion, and that is um, related to also the, t- the takedown notices, and it is um, suggesting that um, companies must resubmit um, their – what was that? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, as, as companies must resubmit their um, – to the copyright um, in order to – what blogs and websites must resubmit to the Copyright Office every two years in order to maintain – um, their immunity, their um, safe harbor p- protection under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and um, and that's come under a lot of criticism as well. Um, why why make it more burdensome um, for companies to enjoy the the, um, the safe harbor? And so this coming on on top of the SOPA has really um, got people in a stir. Um, but I don't see anything really advancing. Um, I think uh, basically it looks like Wyden's going to block it in the Senate, and um, it appears that there just isn't the votes for it in the House. But there, you know, I've clearly um, the entertainment industry is a potent force in Capitol Hill, and um, it's very quite possible that you know some scaled down version will pass. Um, they made an attempt last year to do so, um, and but the bill became known as the Internet Censorship Bill, and apparently they haven't learned their lesson, but. Um, so they've once again tried to push too hard, I think, and reach too far. But um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, um, we'll be talking about um, other issues that people are talking about on the Internet, and then we'll bring on uh, Mary Engel from the FTC after these messages. This webmasterradio.fm program is presented by AFCONEvents.com, A-F-F-C-O-N events.com. Dive deep into five days of digital marketing education and information at AFCON's inaugural Digital Marketers Cruise, March 17th to the 21st, 2012. Be a sponsor, exhibitor, or register today at AFCONEvents.com. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. On the road. On the boat. 
working now or up in the air. Now you can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for WebmasterRadio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone. As well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere by downloading TuneIn right now. WebmasterRadio.fm. We really are everywhere. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Podcasting at the speed of sound. WebmasterRadio.fm. The flamethrower. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. Um, Thank you for joining us on this November 30th, 2011. And um, a big thing in the news lately has been um, the increasing amount of cyber attacks. And um, we've, over the course of the year, as we've mentioned on the show, there have been attacks on a number of um, significant government installations from the CIA website to um, the IMF, NATO, um, Congress, as well as a number of um, Fortune 500 companies. And one of the the kind of um, cyber Pearl Harbor scenarios that come up from time to time is, is an attack on our infrastructure, and particularly in our electrical and water infrastructure, um, concerns that a hacker could, for example, open up a dam and flood an area, or you just shut down commerce by shutting down the electrical grid in a region, has always been a concern. And um, there was a um, pumping station in Illinois, Springfield, Illinois, that um, actually um, burnt out and it was this and the report initially was that the reason why the pump burnt out was because hackers were accessing um, the, the, the facility and causing the pump to keep shutting off and shutting on um, over and over again to, to cause it to more or less to fry and um, that this was in many ways a, a test a hack in which the hackers were really trying to see what they could achieve in such an installation and you know, obviously working at a smaller utility. And um, and so it initially was reported as being the result of a hack from Russian hackers. Um, the Department of Homeland Security is now claiming that it is not a hack. But um, that's the good news, if, assuming that is true. But the bad news is that in, in recent um, hacker conventions, um, white hat hackers were able to access several different utilities and so the the possibility of this thing happening is very real, and um, but you know, great, luckily or hopefully, this is not the case 
um, with respect to this Illinois event, but it still raises an important issue. Are, are we prepared for the possibility of such an attack? And, um, you know, it's something that we have to be on the alert for. Um, but in this case, what they believe may have led to the hacks is just the um, is lack of secure passwords. And um, so if you're running a business, you definitely need to consider um, how you, what your password procedures are because that's definitely going to have a big impact on how um, vulnerable you may be to attack. Now, another big thing that's on the news um, in the internet right now is um, this, the triple X domain, um, the the ICANN, which um, runs the internet domain system uh, under an agreement with the Department of Commerce, um, decided to allow for new um, top level domains, you know, beyond .com, .biz, you know, .etc. And um, the first one that they've done is um, triple X, and um, actually, some of the adult industry are very much against the, the triple X designation because they fear that it will become and more or less an adult ghetto and make it easier to screen their content. And so there actually is a lot of concern about that. But there's a lawsuit that's been filed against ICANN and the, and the registrar for the triple X um, claiming it's a violation of antitrust laws. And um, the argument is that is imposed significant cost on the industries um, as a whole because companies now are forced to defensively um, buy tri- the triple X domains in order to prevent themselves from being exposed by some, you know, cyber um, um, cyber squatter seeking to smear it by using their name in the triple X context. And plus, you know, the money they would have to spend for monitoring. So the lawsuit was just fired last week and, um, but it raises an important question um, as, you know, if you have a domain, you know, should you buy the triple X in order to protect yourself? Not just the triple X, obviously the dot US and, you know, basically should you buy buying the whole um, lit- litany of top level domains in order to protect your rights and prevent um, anyone abusing your trademark or your name uh, on the Internet? <coughs> Excuse the action has just been filed and out here in California, and so um, ICANN has, has, is not required to respond as of yet, but we will keep you posted. But you know, it's something to seriously consider. Um, you know, what are you doing to protect your name in this, with respect to this new possibility that um, if, you know, if you are um, you know, company A, you know, Ace um, Bandages or whatever um, – Ace or Acme product seems to always appear on Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner. Um, you know, do you have the? Do you want to buy the Triple X domain um, just defensively, never, not even use it in commerce, but just to you know lock it up and put it away? And um, and in doing so, has ICANN unfairly used its position to impose a cost upon you? Um, so definitely something to give some thought now. Another big story came from Blog World earlier this month, and that was Technorati's release of the State of the Blogosphere report. And um, it's a very useful document. They've been doing it several years now, um, and so um, you can see the evolution of the blogosphere and, and the, the evolution to a more professional blogosphere as um, you know, bloggers, a lot of bloggers now make money off their blogs. But um, 
an important um, event, though, um, was they, this year they asked for the first time to what extent they comply with the 2009 FTC endorsement guidelines. And the FTC endorsement guidelines basically require that if um, you are endorsing a product in, in your reviews and you're getting compensation for it either directly or through free product, that if, you know, if that it would be material, then you must disclose it. And so um, it was controversial to the extent that you know, this was now being applied to new media and there were some concerns that it was being applied to new media in a way that was inconsistent with how it was being applied to um, print media. And, um, but so that, that went out in 2009. And so what did the State of the Blogosphere Report find as to compliance with the guidelines? Well, um, I think the uh, Technorati CEO, um, Ms. Higgins, in her uh, presentation at Blog World, I think she may have used the word alarming. Um, only 45% were aware of the guidelines um, on blogger endorsements, although it was two-thirds among professional bloggers, so you would think that would even be even higher among professional bloggers. Um, fortunately, even though it's such a low awareness, um, 85% of bloggers said they disclose when posts they make are sponsored or paid for. That still means 15% are not. And then um, also significantly, only 58% disclosed whether free products have been given um, in connection with the review. And the FTC and their guidelines indicated that, you know, to extent that it depends on the value of the product and you know, how many other people are giving you a product, but that that can be a material and require disclosure in certain circumstances. And only um, 58% have disclosed, um, they said they regularly disclose that. Now, um, what's interesting is that, you know, this, this is the first time this has been addressed. Um, and, but the FTC to date has taken only one action in this space. And that was um, and, and a decision of no action um, in respect to Ann Taylor. Um, Ann Taylor had a opening of their fall or spring line and invited uh, a mem- number of the bloggers that followed them, um, but also took a number of precautionary steps, including um, taking the, the measure of, of – telling the bloggers of their obligation to comply with the guidelines and in particular um, informing them that they had to, um, you know, if they did post um, on it, they had to disclose um, whatever you know, um, ham- goodies were handed out at the party. There was signs at the party. It took a number of cautionary measures um, to prevent um, the possibility that bloggers might post on it without disclosing the facts. And um, despite that, you know, there were a couple of bloggers that, in fact, did um, post um, without disclosing, which led to an FCC investigation and ultimately um, a determination that no action was required. And so um, that is the plus side. Um, of course, you know, Ann Taylor had to go through the expense of an investigation and um, – so that is the only action that I'm aware of. Actually, there was one other case um, in which um, they went after um, a company that was paying um, 
paying a, a marketing company to post positive reviews of its products on different sites, and it was not disclosing um, disclosing that fact. But so in two in since in the two years since the guideline, those are the only two actions that I can think of that have really occurred in this space. So. Um, they were, while as controversial and as much uproar as there was over the guidelines with respect to the bloggers, um, you know, relatively little has been done, which is more or less, um, you know, I think in in the videos explaining what the FTC's intent was, um, you know, Miss Engel um, clearly said that we're we're not out to sue bloggers, and I think the FTC has proved, proven true to its words so far. Um, so, um, but. We um we have um Mary on the line, um, and let me just check. Do, do we want to take a break now, or should we take a break later, Brasco? All right, we have a go. Um, Mary, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to have you, and um, um and just just by way of background, um, if you look at her, um, Mary's bio, she's been with the. FTC for quite some time, and um, my father was a public defender for 25 years, and I noticed that you've been with the, pub, the FTC now for what 22 years, almost 22 years. That's right. And, right. and uh, you know, I think you know, we, civil servants get a, a lot of uh, you know mistreatment. I think sometimes, and when you see someone who's devoted um, a substantial part of their career and, and working in civil service like you have. You know, I think they deserve a lot of credit, and so um, hats off to you um, for that at least. And um, so now you've been um, with the FTC your entire career. Actually, I, was, I practiced with a law firm for a few years before I joined the FTC. And uh, was, that, was that a D.C. firm? or? Yeah, here in D.C. You came to the FTC, and you're with the, the um, Division of Advertising Practices. Can you just briefly explain what that, what that means? Sure. Generally, um, the FTC has a Bureau of Consumer Protection where we address a number of consumer protection issues, and the Division of Advertising Practices, where I am, generally um, tries to enforce the truth in advertising laws with respect to advertising of a wide variety of products and services, you know, foods, cars, over-the-counter drugs, you know, online services, you name it. Now, um, having been in this space for a while... Um, in 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 stepping back, do you, do you are we getting better or is it just it's we're having uh, the the same problem just with different products and different technologies? You mean advertising in general, or yes, or yeah, with we, respect to we, testimonials? Are, are we advertising um, less deceptive, or, or are we, are, is industry getting better um, in terms of compliance, or, you, or are you still seeing a lot of the same mistakes being made? Well, I think we do see a lot of the same mistakes being made. And in some respects, it's surprising how many of our cases, for example, weight loss <laughs> ads, you know, they've been going on for decades. Um, but I think there are a lot more players now than there used to be. Um, it's very much easier to get into business now. Uh, really, with the advent of the Internet, um, that, that was a real game changer for us um, in terms of it being easy for almost anyone to become an advertiser and many people who never knew about the FTC didn't know the rules of the road were you know starting to advertise so I think um, you know you still see some um, well-established advertisers um, 
slip through the cracks or I think cross the line into what we would consider deceptive advertising from time to time. But and then on the opposite end, there are you know con artists, fraudsters who who never really intend to abide by the law, just want to make some money and, and see how much they can get away with. But I think there are there are just many more individuals and small firms now who are who are in the market than there used to be. And um, you know, it, it clearly, uh, you know, there's been a lot of good because of the the ease of entry. Um, it's allowed you know Joe Smith to compete with General Motors on a certain level. But yeah, you're right. It has also allowed Joe Smith and his Nigerian cousins to um, compete. Now, um, are you able to to talk at all about the uh, the Facebook settlement today? Or I know that's not, that's not your division. Yeah, it's not my division, and I wasn't directly involved in that. So I. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think I have any real insight into it. I mean, I could try to answer a question, but um. that's okay. Though no, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, maybe if we get any questions from the chat room, I may, may see if the we may may go back to that. Now, um, you are a internet celebrity um, in your in your role in explaining the the advertising guidelines, and um, which, by the way, I think that, that was a very useful device. I think the videos. Um, and the whole um, blog that you guys have set up is very useful and uh, very industry friendly. Um, and the, I always refer people there in terms of getting information on the various guides, on not just the endorsement, but the, you know, the pricing guides and things of that nature. But um, thanks. Yeah, I mean, we we decided it would probably be the quickest and easiest way to try to explain some of and answer some of the questions we were getting after we issued the guides. And so, we what was the the thought process in terms of you know? And doing the videos, and was it in response to um, you, know, you getting questions over and over again, or was it just being proactive? Or well, a little of both. I mean, we we were getting a lot of similar questions after we issued the guides. A lot, and a lot of them were really based on misunderstandings. And and there had been one story that went out about you know eleven thousand dollar fines, and that was picked up by everybody. Um, and repeat it, even though it was not true. And so we thought we just really needed to get some get the truth out there um, and and explain uh, what was going on and what was not going on, and and do that in a quick way. So the the videos just seemed like a good way to do that. Was it today is Mark Twain's birthday? I think one of his quotes is uh, "A lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on." And um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you experienced that. Now. Um, yeah. The blogger, the the um, the you know, endorsement guidelines and the, its applications to the blogosphere um, caused you know a lot of controversy, and you actually received a, a fair amount of criticism over that, which I thought actually you responded to quite well in your Huffington Post piece. But um, how how has that played out so far in terms of um, in, in watching the blogosphere and your interactions with them? Do you think there's a better understanding of where the FTC is going on that? I think so. I think things have calmed down quite a bit since then. Um, as we explained um, what we were doing and what we weren't doing, and um, I think that allayed some a lot of fears uh, and misapprehension that was out there. I also think that, um, and I've heard from some within industry that actually, despite. Uh, all the predictions of, you know, this would mean the end of Internet marketing, <laughs> that the guides have actually, the revisions have actually been good for advertisers. They help establish a level playing field, and people know what the rules of the road are. And most bloggers, at least, you know, that I talk to, and 
they, you know, most of them said, well, they were already making disclosures anyway, and they felt that that was the fair and, you know, a, a above board practice to do. That's interesting you say that. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Technorati does the annual survey on the state of the blogosphere, which they released this, earlier this month at Blog World in Los Angeles. And um, there was, there was two, one, two stats that struck me. One was that only 45% of the bloggers surveyed were familiar with the guidelines. Um, and, and only two-thirds of professional bloggers were. Um, yet they had 85% compliance in terms of disclosing whether um, some posts were endorsed. And so, you know, at least there's there's some sense of what the what they what is right, but there's also um, you know an alarming unawareness if only forty five percent are aware. Yeah, well, you can look at that a couple of ways. Um, one is, um, you know, that generally I'm surprised when people have even heard of the FTC because we're such a small agency <laughs> and people confuse us with the FCC or the FDA or some other agency. So 45% awareness to me isn't isn't um, isn't that low, and and with disclosure being higher, I think that may be for a number of reasons. One is, as I mentioned, a lot of people have just thought that was a, that was a good practice anyway. They that's they felt that they owed that to their readers, but also it's certainly been part of the kind of ethical code of groups like the Word of Mouth Marketing Association, um, and you know. Uh, and other groups that have encouraged disclosure. So I think that could be occurring really even independent of our guides. Okay. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, Mary Engel from the Federal Trade Commission um, Advertising Practices Division after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Celebrating the best in online advertising, the Web Marketing Association presents the 2012 Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Submit your banner ads, email ads, rich media, online newsletters, websites, and social media campaigns now by going to www.iacaward.org. Deadline for entries is January 31st, 2012. Be honored among your online advertising peers by submitting your entry today into the Web Marketing Association's 2012 IAC Awards. Go to www.iacaward.org now. In 500 yards, CPA Way will be on your right. You have reached your destination. On the interstate of internet marketing, CPA Way helps you monetize the way. No matter which direction you're heading, CPA Way is your route to low-risk revenue. Advertisers, we have paved the way to delivering revenue channels that will meet and exceed your expectations. Publishers, we monitor and manage your campaigns to bring you the most revenue possible. Publishers can feel secure to leverage direct offers, while advertisers can find safety, offering their most valued campaigns. The road to trust, respect, integrity, and honor is just ahead at cpaway.com. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. 
line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. Start your search engine and put your servers into overdrive. It's WebmasterRadio.fm steering you into the winner's circle. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And this is Bennett Kelly. We're back with Mary Engel with the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission in Washington, D.C. She is the director of the um, Division of Advertising Practices, and we're glad to have her. Uh, Mary, in in terms of the endorsement guidelines and and bloggers, um, what have you – has the FTC seen much in terms of complaints with respect to reviews, um, companies that are, are paid or um, compensated in some ways for positive reviews or negative reviews of competitors? Well, we've certainly heard anecdotes about um, that uh, there's a lot of paying to write reviews and without disclosure. It's really hard to keep tabs on that and, and track things down. Um, so, for example, we um, heard that a company, actually Hyundai, had um, instructed bloggers not to disclose that they um, were blogging uh, about a new Hyundai ad. And so we, we investigated that, and we recently closed the investigation without taking formal action because what it turned out was that there had been sort of a rogue employee at an agency that had been hired by an agency that Hyundai had hired to conduct this campaign. And um, so, yes, you know, he actually did tell some tell bloggers not to disclose, and some of them didn't, but some of them did. And we, you know, we looked into it, and, and it was against Hyundai's um, stated practices. It was against the the agencies uh, that they hired stated practices. And and so, you know, obviously we weren't going to make a case out of that. But we do try to, you know, when we when we hear about things that are going on, look into them uh, to the extent that we can. But the Internet, the blogosphere is a vast place, and, and we know we can't really keep track of it all. Now, um, what, what are some of the priorities of the Division of Advertising Practices at the moment? Well, um, I mean, quite apart from the endorsement guides and, and, and blogging, um, you know, a lot of our investigations have to do with products like dietary supplements that claim to treat or prevent disease like cancer or diabetes um, uh, or weight loss products, for example. Um, we're doing a large study of food marketing to children, uh, how much money is spent on that and the ways in which uh, companies market to children. We also do enforce the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, or COPPA, um, which regulates how companies or how anyone can con- um, collect personal information from children under the age of 13 online. Uh, so, it's you know, it's pretty varied. <laughs> you just had a consent decree on COPPA, didn't you, with a, a children's social network? 
I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. You just had a consent decree on, on uh, a COPUS uh, for some social network that focused on children? Yes, we've had a number of um, cases recently. Um, there was uh, one we announced with an individual who had run a website that was touted as like my, my, uh, MySpace or Facebook for kids and had claimed to get parents' permission before collecting personal information from children, but... Um, hadn't done it. It was called Skitty Kids. Um, and we also recently um, settled with a uh, company called W3 Innovations, which had an app. It was our first app case under COPPA where um, it had like dress-up games, like sort of like um, paper dolls, but an app where you could dress them up, and it collected email uh, addresses as well as allowed kids to just post information without getting uh, parental permission. Now, are you involved in the whole process of updating the the whole FTC disclosure guidelines in general? Is that part of your division? Well, it, it depends. Um, the if certain rules or guides are in my division, so the endorsement guides, yes, um, COPPA, we're in the process of updating that rule as well. Um, but there are other guidelines, for example, environmental marketing or green guides that are not in my division. Okay. And the current rulemaking or proposed um, changes um, to the um, the guides is, is that your division or is that another division? To COPPA? Um, no, or- to the um, just the FTC dis- um, dot com disclosure guidelines. Oh, dot com disclosures. Oh, yes, that's my division. Yes. And um, I guess what the comments are still coming in on um, in terms of I think the notice was just a notice that you might um, release updated guidelines and what what type of uh, you know, changes should be made. That was, that was kind of the thrust of your notice and request for comment, right? Yes, um, right. The dot-com disclosures guide, uh, guidance it's, uh, was issued in 2000, and so a lot has changed since then. So we thought it was probably time to update them, and we did ask for comment. The comment period has closed, and we're reviewing the comments now, and we're thinking about um, holding a a public workshop or conference to get more input and discuss, uh, you know, specific proposals. There were certainly uh, a good sense in the comments that there were a number of things that the guides, uh, how they should be changed, um, and but not, you know, not we didn't have any specifics out there, so um, we probably think, you know, some more input is probably a good thing. Have it in the spring. It's always nicer to go to D.C. in the spring than the summer. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> when the cherry blossoms are in bloom. Exactly. Um, although with all the years I've lived there, it always seemed that whenever they had the parade, it rained. Um, so. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> I guess that's the challenge of April. So then, yeah, that would be very interesting to see where you guys come out on that. Um, and I think um, you know we had Chris Olson on from um, the you know, Privacy Division on our first show. And I, I, the um, for those who haven't looked at it, the dot-com disclosure guidelines are very instructive in terms of how to make disclosures and disclaimers for online commerce. And um, But all almost all the examples relate to diamonds, and there's references to the FTC diamond mine. So I, I had to ask Chris whether or not there, you guys get profit sharing or you know, what the status was of the FTC guide on the diamond mines. And uh, so I have to ask you, are you, is there profit sharing going on there? Or? No, but I'll explain that because the person who was heading the division that was uh, doing the dot-com disclosure guys at the time was 
was a real jewelry aficionado. So that was just her personal <laughs> preference. So yes, you're right. There's lots of jewelry and, and flower examples, I think. Uh, I don't think we'll have so many of those this time around. All right, so the headline is the FTC spins off its diamond division, and uh, we'll, we'll see what the new what new uh, enterprise they enter into with the next round. Now, um, in terms of um, going back to the endorsement issue, um, you know, in terms of the reviews, I, I get um, clients often complain to me that um, you know there are competitors out there who are you know posting either negative reviews or um, you know, are paying people to. Um, Post positive reviews, and I guess you know, that's just, it's a very difficult thing to monitor. You indicated. Um, have there been any um, major enforcement actions besides um, you know, those one company you went after for paying people to um, post reviews? So we had uh, a couple of enforcement actions that relate to that. There, one was I think if you're referring to the Reverb case, yes, where yes, we entered into a consent order, a settlement agreement with Reverb, which was a public relations firm that was hired by video game app developers to promote the apps, but in the process of doing that, it had its, Reverb had its own employees write the reviews and post them on the iTunes store without disclosing that they were in the employee of the PR firm working for the app developer. So that was a clear problem. Um, there was another case uh, that we settled with a company called Legacy Learning Systems. And Legacy has a number of uh, DVDs and the like for teaching you how to play the guitar for, or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they were advertising online through an affiliate marketing system where they had affiliates who would um, whose websites essentially came off as independent reviews. And and some of them expressly said that they were independent, and some of them that was just implied by the look and feel of the site. But in fact, they were all affiliates of Legacy, and they received a cut when someone purchased through their, you know, linking from their website. And and again, we said that was was deceptive. Or we alleged that. It was settled. You know, there was no... Um, legal finding, but that was our allegation. And, and the I think you, you, that. That, that that happens from time to time, and I do get complaints about that sometimes. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's very real. Now, I um, only have a few minutes left. One thing that you um, I, are you involved in the was the red flags and green light um, program, um, the presentations that seem to the the roadshow the FTC does. We talked about advertising um, do's and don'ts. Well, I, I don't do that. I, I think I participated in one a long time ago, but, um, you know, I, I generally know about it, um, but it's just run out of our, our um, consumer and business education division, actually. It's a, it's a very useful program, and, and particularly those who, who are just starting in the, in the field, it's a great way to get acquainted um, quickly. And, uh, and, and some of the, um, the, the, the examples you use are actually quite surprising, but um, it's very helpful, I think, and so... Um, yeah, I recommend that people get check it out if they haven't. So, what um, what is the next big initiative for you? For you? Well, I think updating the dot com disclosures is, is certainly something that um, is is going to be tricky because a lot of it has to do a lot of the comments we had, and certainly what we flagged ourselves was how does this all apply to the mobile, to the small screen. Right. And, you know, it was challenging enough considering 
when we initially did the guides that people had different size computer screens and things are displayed differently, but with mobile it's even more so. And a lot of folks have raised issues about privacy and the kinds of privacy disclosures that that we re- require and whether dot-com disclosures should should address that sort of thing. So so if we do that, certainly that'll, um, um, uh, you know, we'll work with our privacy division and, and um, that will take um, some, you know, pretty careful thinking. Um, and, and then, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please, go ahead. And, I interrupt you. Please you know, go ahead. Other than that, we um, um, will continue, um, as I alluded to earlier, um, claims about consumer health and, and safety are a priority for us, so we'll continue to have efforts in, in that area. Now, on the, we only have a couple minutes left. On the mobile um, front, will you be breaking new ground? Have, has any other regulatory body in, in, in any other country addressed what what are proper disclosures in a mobile context? Um, not that I'm aware of. Um, no, not that I'm aware of. So you, you get another opportunity of being accused of destroying the Internet? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, hopefully, uh, I mean, yeah, we may get those accusations. Um, um, we certainly will make every effort to, um, I mean, what we're trying to do is bring clarity, you know, to right. no, make I, it Right, no, I say that in jest, just because you, know, you definitely got a whole heap of, uh, a criticism, um, you know, as you, and I think you responded to it well, um, but uh, it's just, it, it looks like you're going down that path again, but um, but there actually is very little in terms of that I'm aware of, and yeah, I think it's useful because we are moving to a new platform, and um, it's just useful to, to think about what is the appropriate context, and, and the same on the privacy front, you, you kind of have the roundtables because you know, the world has changed, so let's talk about what we need to do and um, you know, in, and set rules for what needs to be done and um, that regardless of the technology. And so you know, it's, it's a commendable effort, and it'll be very, very interesting to see how you guys do that. Well, thanks, yeah, because especially with uh, dot-com disclosures, we're not trying to you know, create new obligations we're just trying to explain, you know, so that if we were presented, if we had an investigation and here's an ad that was, you know, it was a mobile ad campaign and so people were seeing the ad on their on their smartphones, is, some, is this ad deceptive or not because it was the information conveyed clearly and prominently or not? We want to give people heads up as to what we think is clear and prominent and what isn't. And, and so it's not to, it's just to actually avoid more law enforcement actions and avoid consumers being deceived. It's not to really change the rules of the road, it's just to make it clear how we, how we interpret them. Well, um, I made a deceptive statement saying we had a couple more minutes. We're actually out of time. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you, and um, we'll definitely be looking forward to um, the, the late the updates of the guidelines. But um, thank you once again. It's been a pleasure having you, and um, I hope thank you consider you. joining us again. And this is um, Bennett Kelly Internet Law Center. We'll see you next week on Cyber Law and Business Report. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.